0: Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region.
1: Gentlemen and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. Over the last two years, Israel's primary concern was atypically, not its preparedness to cope with security challenges, but rather a unique mix of pandemic and politics. However, now that the COVID-19 crisis is seemingly on a steep downward curve and negotiations between potential coalition partners have shifted into a more practical mode following last month's elections, the focus will inevitably return to Israel's unfinished business with its various enemies, most prominently of course those in Iran, Lebanon, Gaza and Syria. To analyze this topic, we're joined from Central Israel by Brigadier General in Reserve, Yossi Kuper who is the Project Director on Middle East Developments at the Jerusalem Center for Public Affairs. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Also joining us from the Jerusalem area is Professor Efraim Inbar, who is the President of the Jerusalem Institute for Strategy and Security. Thank you for joining us as well. My pleasure. And with us uh, here in the studio is our TV7 analyst and host of Watchman Talk, Mr. Amir Oren. Amir, give us a broader understanding. Where is Israel in its mode of preparedness vis-à-vis its various enemies?
0: So this is uh, one obvious uh, example of the difference between uh, perception and reality. As you mentioned, uh, the security threats to Israel have almost disappeared from the front pages and television screens, but they have not gone away in reality. Uh, Whatever challenges Israel faced two years ago, a year ago, a month ago, are still here. Hezbollah in Lebanon, Hamas and uh, Palestinian Islamic Jihad in Gaza, a disintegration which could take place uh, in the West Bank under the Palestinian Authority um, Whether there are elections whether the elections are cancelled or whether Mahmoud Abbas who is uh, old and ailing uh, disappears from the scene Whatever happens in Syria regarding the Iranian attempts uh, to base themselves and their proxies there perhaps uh, threats from uh, Yemen and Iraq, not necessarily by these uh, countries, by the uh, governments of these countries, but by pro-Iranian forces there, all of these threats are still there. And Israel, uh, while it did not have to expand a lot of munitions and uh, defense shackles over these two years to take care of uh, everyday problems, nevertheless, uh, had to shift resources to other uses, such as taking care of the corona crisis. And it has probably lagged behind a bit in its uh, transformation project in the military, which current uh, chief of staff, Aviv Kohavi, launched when he um, entered uh, office in early uh, uh, 2019. So it has not been put to the test. Recently, it has been almost seven years since uh, there has been um, a major campaign in Gaza vis-a-vis Hamas or uh, jihadi uh, Islam and It is already 15 years since the last campaign in Lebanon But it could erupt at any moment and only then will we know whether the military was prepared and whether the political Echelon which is so involved in its own survival is up to the test.
1: Indeed. General Kupelvassel, how do you view the current state of affairs of Israel? Considering also that uh, Washington's foreign policy at this stage, uh, uh, which uh, is seemingly more and more aligned with European foreign policy, uh, is not necessarily as active in backing Israeli actions to secure and guarantee uh, its. Uh, Uh, Security needs uh, as was the previous administration in Washington. Uh, Of course vocally uh, It maintains that Israel is uh, a very important strategic partner to uh, the United States, but uh, it seems like it is uh, Seeking to appease Israel's enemies in the region rather than confront them Where does this actually state is currently in in the the make-out of the state of affairs? Well, I think that we
2: are fighting two, uh, not two wars, but two challenges at the same time. One is to make sure that uh, we, go, we have the capability to go on with this uh, campaign in between wars that we have been fighting for a long time. That uh, is intended to make sure that the threats that we are going to face tomorrow are, are going to be limited in their nature and uh, that we should be capable to deal with them. And uh, this means especially that we have to keep working hard uh, and making sure that Hezbollah doesn't get uh, uh, all kinds of uh, advanced weaponry from, uh, from Iran, and that Iran doesn't turn Syria into a base that, from which it can uh, start to launch attacks against Israel. So this is uh, one thing. And then at the same time, we have to keep, to keep uh, working uh, vis-a-vis the uh, uh, Hamas-controlled uh, area in, in Gaza to make sure that they don't gain uh, new capabilities as well. This is one thing that we've been doing all the time and we keep doing. The other challenge has to do with the fact that uh, there is a clear disagreement between us and the Americans about the basic facts according to which you have to uh, play your uh, game in in the Middle East. And uh, on, on both issues that are important to Israel and the question of Iran, especially its nuclear program, And on the question of the Palestinians, we don't see eye to eye uh, the situation with the Americans. And that's why we have to conduct a very important uh, strategic dialogue with the Americans to explain why we think that some of the premises they're basing their policy on are wrong. For example, a major uh, 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 assessment of the Americans is that the maximum pressure put on Iran is not working, and that's why we should uh, adopt a different policy. This is wrong. We think that uh, the maximum pressure is working. And we believe that in order to have a better, longer, and much more powerful agreement with Iran it is highly needed, uh, this uh, maximum pressure needs to uh, to be maintained uh, so that uh, the Iranians will understand that they have to uh, make some changes in their positions. Instead we have uh, this disagreement with the Americans who are really eager to go back to the old agreement that actually paves the road for the Iranians to have a n- big nuclear arsenal. In ten years, and that cannot be uh, restored. Cannot be. Nobody can go back to the old agreement because some of the things that the Iranians were supposed to, to, uh, to do only in year ten or fifteen, they have already done. It's, uh, they are already enriching uranium with uh, IR six centrifuges. So what they were supposed to be uh, to end the development and the research about these uh, centrifuges only in year ten, but they already enriched not only the development and the research. So it's, uh, it's something very strange that uh, we have a disagreement with the Americans about. And the same goes also with the Palestinian issue. It's, uh, we, we all see that the, the unease that characterizes the Americans when they speak about the normalization agreement instead of uh, Abraham Accords. Uh, something is uh, unpleasant with the way they uh, approach this matter. And we see it also with the, with the uh, lifting of the sanctions over the uh, ICC uh, chief prosecutor Bensouda. Uh, we are not uh, in agreement with the Americans on those issues, even though they do agree with us that uh, the ICC should not proceed with their uh, investigation. So it's, uh, we, we still have big gaps between us and the Americans. And we have to spend a lot of uh, effort in making sure that these gaps are narrowing considerably. Uh, to make sure that we can take care of our security.
1: Professor Inbal, your take on the current state of affairs?
3: I think there are uh, <clears throat> two important changes. One that was mentioned already in uh, in Washington. Uh, the new uh, policies of this administration, uh, I think, put us in an almost uh, inevitable collision course with Americans. And uh, we have to keep our uh, freedom of action. Actually, their desire to get out of the region uh, is helping us uh, because uh, uh, they will be less affected by our uh, independent uh, policies, uh, particularly uh, on Iran. A second issue which was not mentioned yet is, of course, uh, uh, domestic issues in Israel. Israel uh, is uh, in a lingering political crisis uh, already two years. And uh, despite the fact that uh, part of our capabilities, military capabilities, are unaffected, I think that uh, this uh, crisis uh, projects an image of a divided Israel, of a weak Israel, of uh, an Israel without uh, a strong leadership. The gap between uh, the general perception of Netanyahu as a world leader, as a strong leader and his inability to form a coalition is um, damaging to Israel's deterrence and actually uh, this uh, lingering crisis um, helps those elements in the Muslim and Arab world that think that Israel uh, can be uh, eliminated due to the internal pressures. This is a preferred image of Israel uh, in Tehran, and particularly among the Islamists. So I'm certainly concerned about uh, uh, the need to end uh, this uh, crisis that uh, invites aggression. So uh, there are two elements, the foreign envelope, Washington, and the domestic scene that
1: uh, are a source of concern. Indeed. Mr. Owen?
3: Well, uh,
0: Professor Inbar is right, but um, at least in my opinion, uh, does not draw the right conclusion. Uh, If Netanyahu really cares about Israel's uh, position in the region and in the world, he should have removed himself as long as he is on trial. Um, What brought about the last four campaigns, the last four elections in Israel, uh, was uh, Netanyahu's uh, legal trouble, uh, and had Netanyahu not been on the scene right now, uh, forming a government, uh, Wisely could his government uh, would have been um, very easy. So uh, the answer to, uh, to this problem uh, lies in his hands, of course. Uh, up to now, he has not chosen uh, to take uh, this advice, uh, not uh, uh, surprisingly. But nevertheless, uh, if uh, the uh, uh, standing of the country's leader is so important, um, he can uh, change it. Now, regarding the the other aspect, which uh, both uh, General Kupavasar and Professor Inbar spoke about, the uh, Washington-Jerusalem uh, axis, again, uh, it would have been unnatural and perhaps even inhuman to expect uh, Joe Biden, after Netanyahu came to Washington in 2015 to undercut Barack Obama's and Biden's policy on Iran, to now say, yes, parts of uh, Trump's policy to reverse our own policy were right, and we will continue them. Uh, This could not have been expected. This was a campaign pledge of Biden's to uh, return to the 2015 Uh, deal. And uh, Israel should proceed from the uh, understanding and the assumption that uh, Biden, Secretary Blinken, and the rest are dead serious about doing it.
1: So uh, with regard to the political aspect of things, of course, those are the two narratives in Israel, which are contradictory to one another. But within Israel's parliamentary system, obviously, it's a democratic country that mirrors the reality on the ground within Israel, therefore, the the political deadlock in Jerusalem continues as long as the people are not going to change uh, anytime soon uh, or ever, for that matter. But uh, specifically with regard to Washington... Uh, it's quite interesting, and I'd like your take on this, General Kuperwasser. When we're looking at uh, the American attitude, it's true that, of course, the Biden uh, President Biden and his administration, including the appointments of uh, uh, Mali as the envoy to Iran and, and the various people uh, in that administration, they have been a lot more favorable to the current uh, conduct and that which was also undertaken during the Obama years. Uh, But it seems like reality has changed and uh, with it, policy should change. But uh, it seems like they're not willing to listen to all those partners and allies in the region and rather go to a course of action that is a lot more appeasing to the enemies of its allies and uh, partners. How is that actually going hand-in-hand with U.S. policy, considering that it harms American interests in the region.
3: I think
2: that uh, basically there are three elements that uh, have an impact on the American policy. One is the basic worldview of Biden and everybody uh, in his administration. That's a totally different worldview of that of uh, President Trump and his his team. Uh, The Biden approach says that... uh, Diplomacy is the main tool to make a difference. And uh, through negotiations and engagement, you can convince uh, your your, uh, even your adversaries to change their uh, policy and uh, see the light and uh, adopt a policy that is acceptable to the United States and to its allies. And that's why we should sit to the table. And uh, while we do that, we have to adopt a multilateral approach. We have to go with everybody else together. Even with the Israelis and the uh, Gulf states, uh, the American allies in in the Middle East uh, should also somehow be uh, included in uh, these negotiations. And uh, that's the way to create change. And we shall do that once everybody goes back to the uh, 2015 agreement. That's uh, what they promised they are going to do. Of course, this is, uh, say, totally baseless and some sort of wishful thinking, because once you give up your leverage, who's going to listen to you? But this is their, their point of view. The second thing that uh, is uh, shaping the, the, uh, Biden's policy is the uh, commitment to uh, erase everything that's Trump. And uh, since Trump is uh, identified with uh, walking against the JCPOA and saying that it was a, a disastrous agreement, then, uh, and since it's their legacy that uh, created the agreement, as you've mentioned before, it's very difficult for them to say, well, it was a wrong move. Even though they know they are not stupid, they know that it was a wrong move. They say that they we need now a better agreement. Uh, they know that Iran did not join the family of nations in uh, joint effort to make life more uh, peaceful and uh, wonderful, uh, but used the agreement in order to uh, expand its uh, hegemony in, in, the, in the Middle East and, uh, and beyond. They know that, but uh, still. They're not going to say it because they are committed to uh, erasing Trump's legacy and promoting theirs. And uh, and the third issue is that uh, they have all the time to keep in mind that they were elected to a large extent because unlike Hillary at the time, they managed to convince the more left-leaning part of the Democratic Party to vote for them. And uh, that's why they uh, have uh, some place for them in the administration. And that's why they have to you know, to uh, keep them satisfied as well. And these people are very close to Iran and, uh, and, to, uh, and to the Palestinians, for that effect. And uh, so they cannot take a position that is uh, clearly confrontational with Iran. All of that is taken in, uh, taken into account when they shape their policy. And then, yes, as, uh, uh, Amir said yes. It was their campaign pledge, and uh, so it's very easy for them to say we said that we are going to do that. That's what that's what we're doing. And uh, in fact, the, we have to fight against it because all the facts are just against this uh, kind of uh, message. I, I'll tell you something. In 2016, I met uh, one of the key advisors of uh, President uh, uh, Obama at the time to discuss the uh, the agreement and he told me something very uh, very true to some extent, of course in the big picture, it was not true, but uh, in the short term picture he said look in uh, in the coming years the, the in the first years of the agreement, we get more than we give, yes, we give them money and all of that, but they are going to be behaving well and uh, and in return, they give up uh, the uh, Arsenal, the, the, um, the stocks of enriched uh, uranium that they have, and so on and so forth. Only at year seven, the, the the agreement changes, and we are paying much more than we get. So at year seven, we shall have to reassess. He didn't know that at year seven they are going to be in the in the same position, and it's going to be their mission to to reassess. And instead of reassessing, they now insist on going back to the agreement, which is a big mistake. We have to understand, all, the, all what the uh, Iranians are doing is brinkmanship, not because they want to re- uh, run to the bomb. They know this is dangerous. They, don't, they, they cannot defend themselves. They just want to go back to the agreement of 2015 that guarantees for them a safe path to a big arsenal of nuclear weapons in 2030. That's what they want. Indeed. And, uh, and that's, that's the problem we are facing now, trying to explain to the Americans that this is the
1: case. It's not easy. Professor Inbar, I'd, I'd like your take on this, but let's bring also the Europeans into the picture. Obviously, uh, since the Biden administration took office on January 20th, uh, we saw the transatlantic uh, alliance uh, uh, being the, the focal point of of interest, Uh, the the main uh, or most uh, important aspect of foreign policy for the the United States, uh, something that, of course, within the current constellation of uh, the European Union versus Britain, uh, we see also London being a lot more uh, lenient towards France and Germany uh, with regard to its interests on things that uh, bother Britain less because, of course, they don't want to uh, fight with uh, the European Union on every stage and on every level. Uh, Does this mean that uh, France and Germany might be the better address or specifically France considering the fact that we also hear President Emmanuel Macron during the visit of Uh, his Israeli counterpart, Reuven Rivlin, saying that, yes, we need also to involve Saudi Arabia and Israel in those aspects. We need to uh, go on, and uh, I'll take the American term for it, lengthen and strengthen the deal with the Iranians in order to uh, realize a a new uh, equation within the equilibrium of the Middle East, Or are we now in such a situation where we should uh, look more towards Russia or even China for that matter uh, in order to bring about some sort of uh, balance that would deter the Iranians from heading in the course of the direction that they are already taking?
3: Well, I think that uh, you are correct uh, that uh, there is a ray of hope maybe with uh, President Macron of uh, France. Uh, The French have uh, always been Uh, much stiffer in their uh, uh, negotiations on the nuclear issue. Even during the uh, 2015 agreement, they actually wanted a better agreement from our point of view. uh, But then the Americans were in a hurry and uh, they didn't listen to the French. And uh, now uh, the French are again uh, more realistic in their approach to, uh, to the Middle East they are also uh, of course more concerned of turkey for example uh, than the americans were and what is happening in libya so uh, macron uh, whatever its weight political weight uh, will be could be helpful but eventually uh, it will be uh, f- the biden decision
0: and uh, nobody uh, else we, we uh,
3: i would like uh, you know to say at this no stage that uh, any Considerations of uh, looking at Russia or China are, uh, are, uh, are quite naive. Unrealistic. I think that uh, the Russians and the Chinese uh, main goal is uh, basically to weaken the United States. They are using Iran for that uh, purpose. And uh, on this issue, they uh, are uh, not going to be helpful uh, to us. We have, of course, a dialogue with the Russians concerning uh, Syria. It is a productive uh, dialogue uh, because uh, everybody takes care of its own interests. There is some common ground between the two countries, but basically, to think that we can uh, become, uh, you know, a strategic ally of, of Russia, this is uh, not in the cards. Uh, you know, whatever we do, we should remember that uh, we are. Uh, uh, bound uh, by, uh, by strategic interest and also by moral uh, issues uh, to the United States. There is no alternative uh, to the United States uh, for Israel, and whatever political battles we'll have, we'll have to conduct them. There is some leeway for Israel in, uh, uh, in the United States, despite what people say. There is uh, a strong uh, public attitude toward uh, positive, strong positive attitude toward Israel. I think uh, there are still uh, um, democratic uh, congressmen and senators that have a similar view to uh, Jerusalem's on the Iranian nuclear issue. So uh, there is some leeway uh, in Washington. But uh, eventually we have to make clear to Washington as well to everybody else that uh, the final decisions on Israel's security will be taken by an Israeli government. And uh, we'll have to uh, keep our freedom of action in order uh, to take care of ourselves because nobody else will do that. Uh, There are different perspectives, uh, different uh, levels of perception, threat perception, and uh, we'll have to sometimes to make the difficult decisions
1: uh, ourselves. An obvious answer to uh, uh, an important question nonetheless. Uh, Mr. Oren, your take on this? We don't have very much time. Yes,
0: uh, we are. We earlier named the usual suspects, obviously the Iranians uh, lead the least, but also some of the Palestinians uh, and Hezbollah and others, but there is also another issue, which General Kuperwasser for one when he was in charge of Intelligence assessments and research was obviously very sensitive to and that is regime stability in neighboring countries Especially in the two peace partners which Israel has Egypt and Jordan and of course we remember what happened in the transition from Mubarak to Morsi and from Morsi to Sisi and now in Jordan Uh, We had last week uh, only uh, a minor event, but this is reflective of what could happen if Jordan, uh, which uh, uh, keeps uh, an eye on Israel's um, most peaceful and quiet border, if it turns hostile because of some regime upheaval. So when one lists the problems and challenges that Israel faces security-wise and militarily, one should also remember those borders which are now quiet, but overnight may tend to be much less so.
1: I, I'd like in one sentence, General Kupil do you see uh, the current uh, preparedness of the state of Israel satisfactory versus its enemies and adversaries in the region? You
2: know, it's never satisfactory. We have to invest more and unfortunately, uh, it's, uh, it's corona time, so uh, budgets are uh, limited. Uh, it, we have a reasonable uh, deployment uh, vis-a-vis those uh, threats and capabilities, but uh, they, it should be improved. We, uh, we have to find the, the budget for that, and uh, to do that at a time like that is not easy. We have to invest mainly, I think, in making sure that we have an ongoing intelligence dominance. An ongoing air superiority, and uh, uh, much better, improve all the time, our uh, 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 capability to fight against incoming uh, ballistic missiles and cruise missiles, because we see what's happening in, uh, in Yemen and uh, Saudi Arabia. We see how Indeed. the Iranians are arming everybody around us with these kind of uh, threats. So we have to invest in uh, this capability as well.
1: Indeed. Well, this is all the time that we have for today. So I'd like to thank you, General Kuperwasser, Professor Inbar, and Mr. Olin for being part of today's program. And I'd like to thank our viewers as well. And we will see you next time.
0: Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.